two, three. Welcome to episode seven of A Holy Mess with His Holy Mess, Father Paul. Welcome back. Welcome back. I I am friggin' excited about this episode. This episode is fire, 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 fire. And I say that humbly because it's not about me, has nothing to do with me. Trust me. I just listened to the entire episode that you're about to listen to. And I, I'm the one who conducted the interview and I'm like, woo! <laughs> the content, Christopher is on fire in this episode. Okay, do you understand me? You got to share it. You just got to do it. I'm not going to talk for long. Hey, today's Thanksgiving. Today is Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving, everyone. Happy, happy, joy, joy. Gobble, gobble. Gobble, gobble. <laughs> do you know that I even had the, the gall Last Thanksgiving to, uh, I, I texted gobble gobble to several people. And I even, I even texted that to the Cardinal. <laughs> Cardinal uh, Tobin, happy Thanksgiving, gobble gobble. He did find that amusing, by the way. So uh, happy Thanksgiving. Listen, I'm not going to get into much about a Thanksgiving episode because the interview alone is an hour. All right. So, I mean, personally, I don't care. I, I, I like, I wish you could see the video of this. I'm looking like Trump with my hands. Uh, we got to do video at some point, uh, but I'm, I, I, <laughs> I wish you could see it. Listen, I'm telling you right now that I, I want to do a long episode. I want to do a short episode. I don't know what I want to do. What do you want? Some people, they really like long episodes. Other people only like 30 minutes long. Some people are telling me they want to hear me talk more. Other people are telling me that they really like the interviews. So listen, we're still in its early uh, stages. We can still figure this out. Uh, give me your feedback though. Email me at hisholymesspodcast at gmail.com. Hisholymesspodcast at gmail.com. That's H-I-S-H-O-L-I-M-E-S-S podcast at gmail.com. All right, people, listen, happy Thanksgiving. Uh, do me a favor, call three people that you are grateful for and tell them that you're thankful that they're in your life. Call three people, tell them that you're thankful. Call more, but at least three. And another thing that I want you to do today is a gratitude list. A gratitude list. Listen to me. A grateful heart silences a complaining tongue. A grateful heart silences a complaining tongue. I don't know who said that, but it rocked my world. I mean, I could tell you where I heard it. It was on a retreat and it was by a, a priest named Father Brett Brennan or something like that. Uh, but I don't know where he got that from. About 20 years ago, uh, you know, as many of you know, I'm a recovering addict and uh, I've been a part of the 12 Steps Fellowship since I've been 14 years old. I'm now 40. Uh, by the grace of God, I have 25 years clean and sober, 25 and a half. And in the emails, there used to be a thing called AOL for you children listening, which there are none. Um, AOL emails, and we used to send these things called gratitude lists, about 10 to 20 things every day, every day. And I'm telling you, I got into that habit and it was absolutely life-changing, absolutely life-changing. Writing down a gratitude list can truly change your entire mood. Sometimes when I am in a horrendous mood and I take some time, I take a breath, and I write down a minimum of 10, 10, because 10, it's five kind of easy, but 10 gets you really thinking, you know what I mean? And it has literally taken my frown and turned it upside down. 
it's filled me with joy when I was in like utter darkness. Uh, I'm not saying it's, you know, uh, like physically medicinal, but what I am telling you is that gratitude goes a long way. It's no surprise that gratitude is the number one step in the um, famous examine prayer, which we'll talk about. So uh, 10 things that you're grateful for, and I'm going to do it right now. So do it, okay? Think about things. I'm going to do it real time. I did not prepare this. 10 things that I'm grateful for, okay? Um, I am grateful that I got home safely uh, from a trip that I was just on. I'm grateful, number two, that I got, number one is that I got home safe. Number two is I'm grateful that I got to spend a long weekend with my childhood best friend, Jason Berardo and his family. And I got to spend a long weekend with them. We went on a little three night cruise. Uh, that's another story for another time. It was amazing. So I'm grateful for that. I am grateful that I got to spend some time with my mom and my dad last night. And then uh, me and my dad were going through old uh, videos of uh, a couple different dogs that we had and some old videos of uh, my nephew when he was younger. And of course, of uh, some pictures and videos of my brother who passed away. So that's number three. Number four is that I am grateful um, that I have uh, an awesome... Uh, cousin-in-law, uh, my cousin-in-law, Peter, he texts me every Thursday encouraging me about the podcast. Um, and he's been uh, truly supportive. Uh, and then number five is I'm going to say I'm grateful for my entire family and I cannot wait to see them on Thanksgiving. I love my family. I love them and I'm very grateful for them. All right. Uh, now this one is going to be uh, number six is going to be for my nephew, Gavin, and uh, my niece, Charlie, Char Char, as I like to call her. Uh, and I just, uh, what I love about my nephew, Gavin, is he's 11 years old, but there's still such like an, an innocence about him. He still calls my parents every night. I, I wasn't that close with my grandparents when I was a little kid. And this kid, he FaceTimes my mom and my dad, his grandparents, Every single night, uh, talk about sports, whatever. Every night at 11 years old. I just think it's so cute. I hope it continues. All right. Uh, what are we doing here with number seven? Uh, I've been grateful to Dave Sturgio and Jop's, um, Chop Sports Network uh, for getting me started on this podcast. And uh, uh, yeah, they've made it uh, a reality. I'm grateful for these episodes with Christopher West. I think they're absolutely powerful. Uh, and I'm really excited for people to listen to them. I'm grateful for uh, my boss, Andy Schaefer, the executive director of uh, Catholic Cemeteries for the Archdiocese of Newark. Uh, I'm grateful for a conversation, a good conversation that I had today with... Um, one of the associates for the Office of Evangelization of the Archdiocese of Newark, Jennifer Benke. And I'm going to talk about her in a second. And I'm grateful for the podcast that she just did with Father John Gordon about Thanksgiving. So I think you just got 10. Obviously, I'm grateful for many more things than that. But that's what you got for now. I did it real time, no prep, because I wanted to see what came to my mind right away while I'm grateful, about why I'm grateful. All right, so check it out. This is not a Thanksgiving episode, but... But Jennifer Benke and Father Jonathan Gordon of the Office of Evangelization for the Archdiocese of Newark, they have their own podcast. It also just started about, about a month and a half ago. And their episode on Thanksgiving, not the most recent episode, it's a, maybe like one back or two. It's called Heart of the Ark. The entire podcast is called Heart of the Ark. Heart, if you don't know how to spell heart, uh, Lord help you. Uh, and then of, and uh, please Jesus. And then 
Ark, A-R-K. Okay, so Heart of the Ark. I forgot the the, so that just shows how much of a mess I am. Heart of the Ark podcast. Uh, you have to listen to their episode on uh, prepping for Thanksgiving. It is amazing. I just listened to it over the weekend. It was so uh, helpful for me personally. Uh, it's, they, they prepared so well for this. It can be very tough for many people. And um, so this episode, it's called Holiday Conversation Tips, uh, Talking Turkey with Compassion. Um, it, it was uh, released on November 11th. Uh, you could get on uh, Apple... Uh, Spot, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, um, I think specifically on like Fireside, but just Google Heart of the Ark Podcast. I'm probably doing like the worst plug ever, but I want to plug it, promo it, because it was amazing and it really helped me and I want it to help you. It's a beautiful, beautiful, they did such a beautiful job. Anyway, so check it out. Here we go. Happy Thanksgiving. Do a gratitude list. Call three people. Listen to the Heart of the Ark Podcast with Father Jonathan Gordon and Jennifer Benke. I'm going to leave you with a little bit of a cliffhanger. I am going to do my Theology of the Body Wrap at the end of this podcast. I've never done it publicly before. I performed it many times. You're going to hear about it at the end of this podcast. Check it out. Um, listen to the context. And if you have not listened to episode one yet, if you, I mean, part one, then this is not going to make sense. You have to understand the context. You cannot just go into this Part two of this conversation with Christopher West, you have to listen to part one first. It's just going to make much better sense that way. All right? Hey, listen. It's a holiday. Be grateful. Be loved. God bless you. Peace. This, this is the astounding alchemy of Christianity. That when Christ touches sin, it turns to gold. It turns to glory. But we got to let him touch it. We got to let him touch us in our most shameful, most broken, most wounded places. And this is very, very real to me. I'm, I'm dealing in my own personal life right now with really shameful crap in my life that just kind of recycles and comes back over and over again. And, and I have to let Jesus love me in it. If I don't, I'm going to put on a, a mask. And I'm, I'm going to play a game and pretend I, I got my act together when I really don't. And all the while, I'm going to not really believe that God loves me because I know it's a farce. I got to let the mask come down. I got to let the pretense fall. I got to stop playing games. And I got to let my naked, crap-infested, foul sewage stench of my life, I got to open that up to the merciful love of my creator who sent his son as my redeemer. And, and I need it. I need it. That encounter happens in its fullness in the church. That's why I'm Catholic because I need that encounter. I need it. I need it in its fullness. I don't want a watered down version of it. I need it in its fullness, you're going to get the full dose of human crap in the Catholic Church, the full dose, but you're also going to get the full dose of divine redemption. If you're up for that, you're up for being a Catholic. <laughs> Yesterday was All Saints Day, um, and 
in the homily, I said, you know what? A lot of us, we come here and when we think of the saints, we just think of them, you know, for the stained glass windows with the halos on, and we're just coming here to honor them that they're very, very, very distant for us. And I said, may I dare say, may I dare say that this feast day, that this solemnity amongst many other things, but if I could summarize it in a paragraph or two, that sainthood is possible for sinners. Sainthood is possible that every single saint was a sinner, except for the, you know, the Blessed Virgin Mary, okay? Every single saint was a yes, sinner. Sir. And it Blessed wasn't- Virgin, You're yeah. correct. Every single saint is yeah. a sinner. Yeah. And, and sainthood is, is possible. It's not just for a chosen few, maybe being canonized is, but living a life in union, in communion with God, living a life of intimacy here and now is not only possible for all of us, but God desires it. Amen. He desires Amen. a life it's of deep, this. It's why deep we're here. intimacy. Yeah, it's why we're here. It's why we were created. We were created from love, for love, to love. That's the whole meaning and the purpose of, of our entire life. And you, Christopher, have so been so good at reminding your students and reminding the people that you're talking to that this is not just a section of theology, but the theology of the body is like a lens to where in which you see the whole world, unless it, uh, that you see Christianity. And Correct. that it, it is, in fact, as one of your books is called The Heart of the Gospel. Right. Yeah, that book is called At the Heart of the Gospel. And, and let me just quote right out of the Catechism so people know I'm not making this up. This is Catechism 1617. Catechism 1617 says, the entire Christian life, how much of the Christian life, Father Paul? Entire. The entire Christian life bears the mark of the spousal love of Christ for the church, right? Our bodies reveal that. Our bodies have a spousal meaning. What does spousal mean? It means the call to, to marital union, right? A man's body is designed by God for marital union. A woman's body is designed by God for marital union. The reason two men cannot marry is because two men cannot engage in the marital act. The marital act is genital intercourse, the intercourse of genitals. Let's just observe, and I'm not saying this to scold anybody or shame anybody or condemn anybody. I'm saying this to turn the lights on. It is biologically ontologically impossible for a man to unite his genital organ with another man's genital organ. It's impossible. It is absolutely biologically, ontologically impossible for a woman to unite her genital organ with another woman's genital organ. The male genitals and the female genitals are designed by God for union, for life-giving union. Why are they called genital organs? Because they are designed to generate, right? This is where we get the word gender. All these words and several others, words like generous, generate, progeny, 
genealogy, genetics, gender, genesis, genitals, generation. All these words share that same Greek root, G-E-N, gen. What does that mean? It means to produce or give birth to, right? Before the modern world started, started rupturing the meaning of gender from the human body, every culture that ever existed knew that the word gender in its original meaning, it means the manner in which you generate new life. And that's determined by that other gen word, your genitals. Your genitals determine the manner in which you generate new life. The male gender's genitals generate the next generation with sperm. The female gender's genitals generate the next generation with eggs. And notice you need a sperm and an egg for the act of generation to happen. And the sperm and the egg come together in God's plan through the union of the male and female genitals. Right? This is, this is, this is, we used to call this, by the way, the facts of life. But today, the facts of life seem entirely. What were you saying, Father Paul? I just said, what, alternative facts now? No, yeah, the facts of life are up for grabs. Why are the facts of life up for grabs? Because we have separated the word gender from our genitals. When we understand the link between gender and genitals and generation, we understand there are only two genders. Gender is determined by the manner in which you generate, and you can only generate with sperm and eggs. How many genders are there? Two, right? Whatever a man might be doing to take hormones and chop off his genitals to look like a woman and inject himself with hormones to grow breasts, he can never change himself from the kind of creature that generates with sperm into the kind of creature that generates with ova. Mm. It's impossible. Yeah. You can't make someone who produces sperm produce ova. You can't yeah. make someone who produces ova produce sperm. You can't do it. All you can do is cosmetically alter the exterior to mock what the other sex looks like. But you can't change a man into a woman. You can't change a woman into a man. It is ontologically, biologically, anthropologically impossible. And again, I'm not saying this to wag fingers at anybody or shame anybody or condemn anybody or scold anybody. We live in very, very confusing times. And we all have to reckon with the fact that because of original sin, there is a split in all of us, a rupture between our body and our soul. But why are we so quick in the modern world to think that if someone feels like a woman on the inside, but outwardly has a male body, why are we so quick to think the solution is to alter the body rather than to heal the soul? Right? There is a rupture here. But the solution is not to mutilate the body. The solution is to, to heal the interior life so that one can experience that reintegration of body and soul. And each, you know, each of us in our own way, you know, 
I'm not confused in, in that kind of way about what it means to be a man, but I'm in, confused in all any number of other ways about what it means to be a man. And I need to grow in my own journey of integrating my body and my soul. Uh, every human being is on that journey. So the, the real path again here is, is not to try to alter the body. The, the real path here is to heal integrate the body and the soul. And in biblical language, that comes through living what St. Paul calls life according to the spirit in and through the redemption of our bodies. You see that integration of the spiritual and the physical? Yeah. Of the theological and bodily. That's our faith. Theology of the body. It's where the spiritual and the physical come together. How does one do that practically, live a life in the spirit through the redemption of the body? How, how does one say, yeah. okay, well, then I want that. What, what do I do? Okay, let me go back to that quote from the catechism. The entire Christian life, this is catechism 1617 again, the entire Christian life bears the mark of the spousal love of Christ in the church. Baptism, it goes on to say, which is the entry point into the Christian life, into this integration. Baptism, the catechism says, is a nuptial mystery. It is, so to speak, the nuptial bath that precedes the wedding feast, the Eucharist. Right. So here we have, in baptism, we have the entry into the Christian life. And in the Eucharist, we have the consummation of the Christian life. How do we live this out? We have to enter into the mystery of our baptism, and we have to enter into the mystery of the Eucharist. Uh, here I'm going to quote John Paul II. He says, there are three infallible and indispensable means for experiencing this redemption of our bodies, this, this life in the spirit, life in can the I, spirit, redemption of the body. These are the I guess three. Them? What's that? Can I guess them to see if I've yeah, been a good student? Already know. All right. One prayer. Yep. Intimate prayer. Two. Yep. The sacrament of reconciliation. Yep. And three, the sacrament of the Eucharist. Boom. Boom. These are the three infallible and indispensable means for living life in the spirit and the redemption of our bodies, for living that integration of the spiritual and the physical. Now, you might think, well, that just sounds like bread and butter Catholic stuff that I heard in grade school. Yes, but John Paul II takes us into the depth of what prayer and sacrament of confession and the sacrament of the Eucharist are. Again, through those spousal lenses. Remember, we're back to the catechism, 1617. The entire Christian life bears the mark of the spousal love of Christ in the church. So let's look at each of these three. What is prayer with these spousal lenses on? Prayer, the fathers of the church tell us, is nothing other than becoming a longing for union with God. Prayer is nothing other 
than getting in touch with the deepest ache and cry of our heart, which is a cry, a thirst, a hunger for the marriage of Christ in the church. It's a thirst. It's a hunger. It's an ache. It's a pain. It's a pang. It's a yearning to be one with infinite love, to be one in a holy communion with infinite joy, with infinite beauty, with infinite goodness, with infinite truth, with, 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 with love. <laughs> we are made for an infinite love, an infinite beauty, an infinite truth, an infinite goodness. That's what eros is, right? Eros is the longing for God. And prayer is getting in touch with that divine eros, that, that human longing for union with the divine. That is prayer. What is confession? Confession is where we get naked before God. It's where we expose all that's going on in our lives to God so that he can love us in our mess. In our, in our brokenness, in our sinfulness. Every married couple knows that if you're going to come together in your holy communion, the marriage bed, you have to get naked. Confession is where we do that before the Lord, mm. right? And that, why do we go to confession? To prepare ourselves for the consummation of the marriage, which happens in the Eucharist. So again, in summary, prayer is where we get in touch with our desire for union with God. Confession is where we prepare our hearts for that union with God. We get naked and we let him love us right there. The Eucharist is where we consummate that desire. We, we enter sacramentally into the marriage of Christ and the church. Living that out faithfully, in an ever deeping, more intimate way is how we become the men and women we are created to be. These are the infallible, indispensable means for becoming integrated body and soul in our humanity. This is, this is, this is the Christian life in a nutshell. Thank you for that, uh, Christopher. I, I have to ask this, and and I'm not just asking for people listening. I'm 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 asking for myself as well. Obviously, I believe in the church's teachings. I believe in the theology of the body, uh, and everything that you're talking about has changed my life. And um, but why does it seem or appear when we're we're talking about same sex attraction now? Okay. Why does it seem or appear, believing what I do, believing what the church proclaims about human sexuality and everything that you have said so far, why does it seem to appear that there are so many individuals that are attracted to the same sex, that desire the same sex, that are not attracted at all to the people of the opposite sex? Obviously, I do not believe in same-sex marriage, and I know that that term in and of itself is not actually a, a thing, but so many people ask me the question, well, why are there so many then, quote-unquote, gay people? Why do so many people suffer from this, and what are they to do about it if from the second they were you know, two years old, 
or, or five years old, this is what they thought and believed. Yeah. Well, we, we have to understand that we live in a broken world. And broken, the broken world is not just out there in some abstract way. The broken world is in each and every one of us. Right? And I'll, I'll tell a story here, which I, which I love, from G.K. Chesterton. He, among many other famous people and, and thinkers of his day, were asked to write uh, an essay on what is wrong with the world. And G.K. Chesterton, you know, many other people submitted multi-thousand dollar, excuse me, multi-thousand word essays <clears throat> on, on what's wrong with the world. G.K. Chesterton's essay was two words. What is wrong with the world? His essay was, I am. Right? We have to remember we are all broken. We are all fallen. We all, each and every one of us, have disordered desires. Right? If we can say anything about same-sex attraction drawing from scripture, drawing from the very words of Jesus, we can say this, Jesus talking about human sexuality, and particularly in this case, how it's become disordered between a man and a woman, he says, in the beginning, it was not so, right? We can say the same thing about same-sex attraction. In the beginning, it was not so. There was an original order God's order, from which we have all fallen, right? And it's okay that we have disordered desires. It's okay because we have a Redeemer. We have a Redeemer who came into the world, and I'm quoting the Catechism here, right? Christ came into the world, the Catechism says, to restore creation to the purity of its origins. Now, that full restoration is never going to happen in this life, right? You will never be fully restored to the purity of your origins, Father Paul. I will never be fully restored to the purity of God's original plan for me in this life. All of us, if we're, if we're walking the Christian path, we are on the journey toward that full restoration. So I do not want to give anyone the impression that if you just follow Jesus, you know, in three weeks or three years or 30 years, all of that uh, disordering of your heart is going to be fixed and, and rightly ordered. I can't promise that. But I can promise if you take up your cross every day and follow him in the next life, the original plan of God for your humanity will be fully restored and even glorified, right? It is, it, is, it is okay that we have disordered desires, but it is not okay to call our disordered desires God's plan for us or the way God made us, right? Here's another way to say the same thing. It's okay that I'm broken. It's okay that you're broken. It's okay that every human being is broken. Because there's a remedy, but it is not okay to call our brokenness health. It is yeah. not okay to call our fallen humanity the way God made us. It is true that God 
doesn't make mistakes. But guess what? We do. And human beings made the biggest mistake at the beginning of human history called original sin. And we've all been affected by it. And we all have disordered desires. Erotic inclination towards one own towards one's own sex was not part of the original order. It was not part of God's original plan. In the beginning, it was not so. Right? It is a disordering of God's original plan. Just like if I can pick on myself here, I have any number of disordered inclinations towards the opposite sex. I can't just say, well, I want to have sex with my wife tonight. That's the way God made me. Therefore, it's good. I don't know what's going on in my heart. Am I treating my wife like an object for my selfish pleasure? Marriage doesn't make that okay. Am I living out of my disordered fallen humanity here? If I am, marriage doesn't make that okay. Just like anybody, I've got disordered desires. And I have to let the light of Christ's healing, redeeming love into those disordered places. And I have to work towards, with God's grace, I have to work towards allowing my affections to be redirected. And here I'm going to quote the catechism again. All of Christ's faithful, the catechism says. How many of Christ's faithful, Father Paul? All. All of Christ's faithful are called by Christ to direct their affections rightly. All of Christ's faithful are called by Christ to direct their affections rightly. That is a lifelong journey, and it will not be completed in this life, right? You know, I think people rightly criticize the, you know, and they, they kind of come up with their little cutesy um, depictions of, of this and ways of saying it, but you've heard the expression maybe, uh, oh, oh, pray the gay away. You know, yeah. people are critical of that. And I get that. Pray the gay away. No, it's not pray the gay away. And if you just pray harder, the gay will go away. No, it's take up your cross and follow and let the death and resurrection of Christ in your life have its way with you and step by step over the course of a lifetime, your affections can be directed rightly. Mm. No one can claim in this life I've arrived or no one can use it as a measuring stick of, of your fidelity because we're all broken and we're all in different stages of the journey. But I'm going to hold on to this because I believe it with all my might. And it's right in the catechism. This is our faith. Christ came into the world to restore creation to the purity of its origins. And what Christ did worked. And if we take up our cross and follow him, we won't be perfect in this life. We'll always struggle with this or that. But we can make more progress, St. Paul says, than we think or imagine. The power of redemption that is at work in us, St. Paul says, is capable of doing far more than we think or imagine. And I know this in my own life. I know the depth of my own disordered sexual desires in my own life. I know the pain they have caused me. I know the pain they have caused others. And I can also attest 
that by letting Jesus in there day after day, taking up my cross day after day, carrying in my body the death of the Lord, I have also tasted, not perfectly, but I've tasted, even here in this life, the reordering of my affections according to the original plan of the Creator. It's Amen. real. Amen. I, this is reminding me of, of uh, something that you, you taught me about sin, about the original, the, the meaning of sin and the aim. Do you want me to tell it or, or, or do you want to get into it? No, you go ahead. So <clears throat> you are putting like your heart and soul into this thing, man. I want to take a, a, some water. I, the thing that back in the ancient times that the Greek word for sin was the same word that they used for when an, uh, I think it was archers, right? Missed their yeah. mark. Those yes. doing archery with the arrows, when they missed the bullseye, when they missed their mark, they sinned. Am I right about that? Correct, correct, correct. Okay. So, therefore, you usually say that an analogy of when we're sinning, we're, we're actually aiming for something good. We're desiring something good, something true, something beautiful, but yes. we're missing the mark. Yes, yes, We're correct. missing the mark. So therefore, our life of grace, our, 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 our life with Christ, or, or a life of holiness is not so much about us just trying to aim properly, but allowing God to help us with our aim. You can correct. Uh, correct me on anything I just said. No, no, correct. What the world is doing today, when we're missing the mark, the world is changing the target, right? The solution here is not to change the target. That's a new one. Wow. The solution is to allow grace into our lives to adjust our aim. And we're not talking about pulling ourselves up by our bootstraps and just trying real hard. We're not talking about praying the gay away we're, 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 or whatever your disordered desires might be. We're talking about carrying in our bodies the death of the Lord. Well, what does that mean? Let me give you an example. I can only speak from my own experience, right? My disordered sexual desires are aimed at women. And I experience these disordered desires all the time. I mean, they're in me. They're part of my fallen humanity. Yeah, sure. I Three choices here. I can indulge those disordered desires or I can repress those disordered desires and I don't recommend either one of those. The third option, which most people don't know about, is we can open those disordered desires to the power of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. But it's going to hurt. And this is why people don't go very far down this road. My advice, and again, I'm speaking as a man here. Uh, I always speak as a man, right? Just can't help it. Um, well, that's just, that's reality. So I'm speaking it from my own experience here, but let me speak to the guys out there. Ladies, you can listen in and you can translate this for your own experience, but I'm going to, and I've said this to you many times, Father Paul, so you know where I'm going with this. Guys, the next time you are experiencing lustful sexual desire, I don't care who it's aimed at or what it's aimed at. This is not part of God's original plan. You get yourself in the shape of a cross. I mean, physically, put yourself in the shape of a cross. 
and stay there until you make a Passover. And here's what I mean. Put yourself in the shape of a cross. Say, Jesus, thank you for the gift of human sexuality. Thank you for your original, beautiful, glorious plan for making us male and female and giving us erotic desire. Praise you, God. It's awesome. Your plan is beautiful and wonderful. But I recognize in my fallen heart that my sexual desires have gotten all twisted up. There's something messed up in my heart. And I ask you, please, Lord, by the power of your death and resurrection, to untwist in me what sin has twisted up so that I might come to experience sexual desire as you created it to be in the beginning, as the desire to love freely, totally, faithfully, fruitfully, in the image and likeness of God. Lord, I ask for this grace. And you stay there, stay in the shape of a cross until your heart makes a Passover. That means you're going to die. That means that lust in you has to die. Mm. St. Paul says, we must allow our sinful passions to be crucified. And I think the reason so many Christians have deep-seated sexual problems is because they have confused holiness with sexual repression. And they have not experienced or entered into sexual redemption, which is allowing our sinful passions to be crucified with Christ so that we can experience a resurrection of those passions in a way that we tap into that original, beautiful, wonderful plan of God. Let me quote from John Paul II here. He says, Christian ethos is characterized by a transformation of the person's conscience and attitudes so as to express and experience sexuality according to the creator's original plan. There is a real power at work in us, but we have to be willing in allowing our sinful passions to be crucified. We're going to feel the nails going through our hands. We're going to feel the crown of thorns getting pressed into our skull. We're going to feel that sword, that lance being thrust through our heart. And it's right then that we are often tempted to come down off the cross. You, you, we might even hear sweet little voices, very convincing voices saying, Jesus loves you. He couldn't expect you to suffer this much. You come down off that cross. Father Paul, what should our response be when we hear voices like that? Uh, in the name of Jesus Christ, go back to hell. Yeah, get behind me. Satan. Satan, get behind me. Whenever, whenever a voice is trying to say to you, you can have your fulfillment without the cross, you know that comes from hell. It is Satan who always tries to convince us not to follow Jesus the whole way through the cross, right? Only by dying to our disordered desires. Can we enter into a resurrected experience of directing our affections rightly? And again, I'm just quoting the catechism here. All of Christ's faithful are called by Christ and with and through his grace 
to direct their affections rightly. The life of grace can enable that, but it's through death and resurrection. Nothing else can enable that. And how do we live that day to day? Just what we were saying earlier. We have to enter ever more deeply into prayer as a yearning for union with God. We have to get ourselves utterly naked before God in the sacrament of confession. And we have to take all of our yearning to the Holy Eucharist. That's how we live this out. Brother, I, I have to say something. Um, I've seen you uh, I've seen you talk uh, in front of hundreds. I've seen you talk in front of thousands. I've been in your presence a um, hundred or so times. You, you are giving, I just have to say, I have to say this as a, as a personal thank you. Like you are putting your heart and soul into this interview in a podcast that doesn't even really have a following yet. Just a couple, as if you were talking in front of, you know, millions of people at World Youth Day. You are one of the most passionate, authentic guys that I have ever met. And you may be uncomfortable with the flattery, but I just need to say a couple of things because a lot of people know you, you know, as you're the theology of the body guy. You're, you're the popularizer of the theology of the body. And there was a time in my life when that's who you were to me, okay? That's who you were. I was a fan, all right? Your talks changed my life, brought me closer to God. But, and I also thank God for this, over the years, at first I became a listener or a fan, if you will, and then I became officially a student of yours through the Theology of the Body Institute. And somewhere along, and I would guess always consider you kind of like a mentor, and somewhere along the line, thank be to God, you have become a friend. You have become a friend. And I have gotten to, to me, spend- Father, And you to me. Thank you. The first, I have to say this. The first time I remember we were at one of the courses at, uh, at Black Rock Retreat Center with the Theology of the Body Institute. And I was just one of a hundred people in the, in the, uh, in the, one of your students in the, in the crowd there. And I don't know, maybe I raised my hand or something. And you referred to me in front of everybody else. Oh, Father Paul is a friend of mine. And I was like, wow, like, Okay, oh, Christopher West considers me a friend. And that was like in the beginning stages. I, the reason why I'm saying this is, is this, not to say, oh, I'm friends with Christopher West, okay? Although I do like to drop names. Uh, the, Lord knows I the Lord knows I struggle with pride. The Lord, let's just, put it, uh, let's just put it out there, okay? I do. However, the, the main reason why I'm saying this is to get to this author, because I have been around you one-on-one. -on -one. I've been around you with five people. I've had dinner at your house. I've gone on, uh, uh, I've driven in cars with you. Um, you are the same person one-on-one -on -one with your family than you are as the TOB guy on stage. Like you have become a witness of holiness, a witness of Christ. Like you really believe this. This is not just, you, you, you don't put on a show. This is who you are. You believe this with your heart, mind, body, and soul. And I think, if I dare say, I think this is why your style or you, the person of, of Christopher West, attracts so many people, okay? Attracts so many people because this is who you are and you, you pour your whole heart, mind, body, and soul in it because you believe that, that this is it. God saved and changed your life and then you dedicated the rest of your life of spreading this particular teaching of the theology of the body.
to spreading the gospel at the heart of the gospel, the joy of the gospel, whatever you want to say. And I need to say, because I know we're at time and I want to respect your time. I want to personally thank you. And I want to say that, that I love you. Um, as somebody that listened to a cassette tape 22 years ago, that changed the, the way that I viewed women forever, that changed the way that I viewed just one night stands and human sexuality and somebody who I've taught. I, I just, I, I feel very honored right now. I feel very touched that you would do this. I've, and, and I just want to say a personal thank you to you for the times that you have been there for me one-on-one over the past 12 years. There have been some serious times of crisis in my life and in my priesthood where you were a true friend. And it is because of certain things that you have said to me or articles that you sent me that have literally, I know it's not you, it's Jesus Christ, but have literally helped me stay the course, have literally helped me embrace the cross, have literally helped me take this, this yearning, burning desire and just scream it out to God and to yearn for God rather than direct my eros to things that cannot satisfy. Because of this teaching of this holy Pope of St. John Paul II, his reflections on the gospel, and then you're breaking it down like, this is life-changing stuff. And it has not just changed my life when I was an 18-year-old kid, but it, is, it, it literally, your talk on celibacy for the kingdom, which we didn't even get into, but your two-hour talk in the summer of uh, uh, in Omaha, Nebraska, Creighton University, uh, IPF, uh, the Institute for Priestly Formation, your two-hour talk on celibacy for, for the kingdom, that was for the first, and I was already in the seminary for three years. I was in the seminary for three years. And then I heard you give this talk on celibacy for the kingdom. And for the first time, embracing a life of celibacy actually seemed attractive to mm. me. I was going to do it because I had to do it to become a priest. But when I heard the talk on celibacy for the kingdom, I was like, oh my, wh- why would, why would I want to do anything else? Like, I, I want to become a priest. You know, not that marriage is, obviously you're a married man teaching this, but um, for me, for, for the way that I was uh, called to this. So where can people get more of this? I have had the, the, the opportunity to hear your talks, to see you, uh, to be a student of yours, to have time with you one-on-one. Uh, to, we've traveled across the country. To, I've been to Ireland with you on Theology of the Body pilgrimages. I, my, how do people get more of this? How can they get more? Where can they get more? I know you've written books, you've given talks. Where could we get people in so that their lives can also be changed forever? Yeah. Before I, I say where people can learn more, let me just say, thank you, Father Paul, for what you said. I I receive, I receive what you said as your love for me and, and my love for you is, is very real. And there's a, a precious bond that you and I have felt for a long time. And I'm grateful that the Lord has, has brought us together in, in a friendship. It's a gift to me. Um, I, I also want to say that I think maybe one of the reasons that this fell on me as a calling to give my life to this, I know it's true, because I need it as much if not more than any other human being on the planet. I do not hold myself out as one who has figured all this out and live it perfectly. Far from it. Uh, I am, I'm a wounded human being, and I am in need of, of God's mercy desperately in my life. 
teaching this keeps me in a place of recognizing my need. Um, immersing myself in this teaching just continues to keep myself. It, it helps me to stay in a place of recognizing my own need for the message. So I thank the Lord for that. I, I, I desperately need it. Where can people learn more? Can I just say one thing before you tell yeah. them about the more, even yeah. though I'm the one that asked the question for you to tell them, and now I'm going to cut you off for that. Let's have fun here, right? For a little bit. Uh, there was a, a, lot of, a lot of theology, a lot of amazing. This was a beautiful, beautiful interview, a uh, beautiful teaching. But I just want to let people know out there that don't know uh, Christopher West from a hole in the wall, <clears throat> that it's not just all theology. He's... He's a regular guy. He he the way that he talks about music, the way that he talks about movies, his his sense of humor. You know, I just I know I'm 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 giving you flattery again, but I, I've written down here uh, certain things that I wanted to mention like your love for for U2 and Bruce Springsteen, the way that you bring music and movies into your teachings. Uh I, I've I've sat around the, the table with you uh, when it's just uh, me and you and and your and your family. Your sense of humor, like the reason why I'm saying this is that this is possible. People, Christianity is not just some dry, rigid thing. People that are really, really, really into their faith, they're not just like religious religious nuts. There's like real spiritual fruit. Like people that enjoy, you know, a good you know, I don't know, fart humor or something like that. People that have fun, you could be really, really, really into God, really into the theology of the body and believe it and still have a lot of fun. Well, you know, a lot of fun. How I know that God has a sense of humor. How? He invented farts. <laughs> I didn't come up with it. You didn't come up with it. I came yeah. up with it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right. So, All right. Blood, so, go ahead. But a step. There we go. Uh, yeah, no, I think your point is well taken, Father, that this is how I would say it. Christ came into the world to sanctify everything. Everything, even fart jokes. Right? And that, that means there's nothing gets thrown away or deleted. It gets purified and completed, right? And, and that's true for music and movies and, and your sense of humor. And it all has to be purified, obviously, right? Everything needs to be purified. But the purification of fart humor does not mean erasing fart humor. It, mean, it means there's some kind of holy expression of fart humor. <laughs> God, God made farts. And I'm sorry. This one people don't say it. I, people this, don't say things, but if the incarnation is real and Jesus took on flesh, then guess what? Everything Jesus did was holy, so farts can be holy too. Yeah, I mean, my first pastor used to say, uh, "You know what? The Blessed Virgin Mary had to change a diaper. She had oh. to change baby oh. baby Jesus' diaper." Absolutely. You know? And These I and I. He's the incarnation real. was messy. And this yeah. one seminarian, he said to me, he goes to me and he was dead. I, I can't believe I'm saying this, but he was, he goes, you know, I so I, I'm not kidding. I'm not trying to make a joke, man. He goes, I wonder like if Jesus, if it's, you know, Jesus was, was totally bodily and like, like, and he farted. I wonder what his fart smelled like. <laughs> and you want to know what I said to him? You want to know what I said? I said, like crap. 
They yes. smell like crap. He, he, was, yep. <laughs> he was a human being like us, man. Like, come on, bro. Stop with this. Yep. <laughs> Here's the thing. Uh, art jokes with Christopher not, West, everybody. Something to joke about and, and laugh about. I mean, I'm all for laughing. But this takes us into the realism of the incarnation and the scandal of the incarnation. Let's be honest here. It's a lot easier to believe in a God that is purely spiritual than to accept in faith that God farted, that God had diapers, that, that God had body odor like the rest of us. Those reality, and I'll tell a story here. This is a story that my friend and your friend Jason Clark tells. He was on a retreat. He was on a retreat with a a group of monks. And the head monk stands up at one point on the retreat and he so and he says, It's it's the most humble experiences in our lives where we are closest to Jesus. So when we are most humbled, and he gave the example in his own life, he says, I don't know a more humble place than when I'm on the toilet reaching for the toilet paper. He says, that can be an encounter with God. And it's meant to be. And if the incarnation is real, then that has to be real. Yeah. And the fact that we get squirrely and uncomfortable talking about these bodily things, it just goes to show how desperately we are in need of the redemption of our bodies. And thank you, God, that you have you have considered the human body worthy of the incarnation. Right? And this reminds me of what St. Paul says. The human body is meant for the Lord, and the Lord is meant for the human body. Right? Take that to prayer. John Paul II says that passage from St. Paul, the body is meant for the Lord, and the Lord is meant for the body. That passage, says John Paul II. And this is right in the theology of the body. He says, I cannot think of a more powerful way to summarize all the implications of the incarnation than that. Right? We don't need to be scandalized about our bodily realities. We don't need to be scandalized. Blessed are those, says Jesus Christ. Blessed are those who are not scandalized by me. Blessed are those who are not scandalized by me. Right? This is the invitation of the gospel to enter into the very mystery of the word made flesh. What is the privilege of the male body? The privilege of the male body is that it was chosen by God to be the instrument that communicates the love of God the Father through his son. What's the privilege of the female body? The privilege of the female body is that the female body gives flesh to the second person of the Trinity. This is bedrock biblical faith. God comes to us through the body of a woman. And if the incarnation is real, what is a woman's body? Mm. A woman's body became, if the incarnation is real, Mary's body became heaven on earth the dwelling place of the most high God. And that's why Satan's enmity and his hatred 
has been aimed from the beginning at woman. Contraception, abortion, pornography, call it what you will. But in the end, what it really is, is an all-out diabolical attack against the dignity and vocation of women to give flesh to God. And when did all this start unfolding? Started unfolding with its with its vengeance and its fury right in the middle of the 20th century. Well, guess what happened right in the middle of the 20th century? The Bride of Christ, the Holy Catholic Church, declared on August 15th, 1950, definitively as a in, infallible dogma of the Catholic faith that the body of a woman has been raised the whole way into the heights of heaven and now participates eternally in the ecstasy of God. That's the moment in my mind that I see Mary crushing the head of the serpent. But what's been happening ever since is the serpent is in, in death throes and he's, his tail is flailing to try to take down anybody and everybody he can before he's entirely defeated. That's abortion. That's pornography. That's contraception. That's this all-out attack on the dignity of a woman's body. Blessed, blessed is the womb that bore him, and blessed are the breasts from which he sucked milk. That's what the enemy's after. He's after woman's body. He's after her breasts, and he's after her womb. He wants to turn the womb, which is a, a garden of life, into a tomb, a place of death. That's his uh -huh. goal. What does dragon want to do? In the book of Revelation, he wants to devour the child right out of the womb. He wants to turn the place of life into a place of death. He wants to turn the womb into a tomb. Well, here's the good news of Christianity. Jesus Christ, his male flesh, born of a woman, he has transformed the tomb back into a womb, a place of life. This is our faith. This is the theology of the body. In the end, Christ will fully reveal in his flesh the glory of the living God. And another great sign will appear in the sky. A woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet and a crown of 12 stars. And all of heaven and all of earth will see the glory of God revealed through the male body of Jesus Christ and the female body of Mary. This is our faith. Christianity is otherwise known as the faith that proclaims the body as theology. Amen. Where can you learn more? Well, you can check out all kinds of authors and teachers of theology of the body. Just Google the word, the, the phrase theology of the body. If you're appreciating what I'm saying here, then check out our work at the Theology of the Body Institute. You can go to theologyofthebody.com. You could take an online course. You could take a course in person, our five-day retreats at a retreat center here in Pennsylvania. Uh, go to the Theology of the Body Institute uh, YouTube channel. We have hundreds of videos on there. Just search Christopher West or Theology of the Body Institute on YouTube. Uh, you could listen to the podcast that I do with my wife, Wendy. It's called the Ask Christopher West Show, hosted by Wendy West. Uh, we we just recorded our 200th episode. So oh, congratulations. 
Thank you. If you have questions, uh, we have over 600 questions answered on those 200 episodes. So check it out. And um, books, uh, Theology of the Body for Beginners, Good News About Sex and Marriage is a Q&A book. Um, I've, written, I've written 16 books at this point. I, I'm not going to go through them all. <laughs> and you mentioned earlier Katrina Zeno. Uh, look into her work if you want a female perspective. She's written some great books and she does a lot of good work. There are so many people out there doing this good work, not just me and not just the TOB Institute. So I, I just want to, you know, promote everybody out there who's spreading this message. It, it needs to be spread. You also do some really good, uh, some really great uh, pilgrimages as well. That's right. I know That's from right. If you're interested, uh, a year from now, my wife and I are leading a pilgrimage to France. It's a riverboat tour up the Seine River. And the theme is the little way of St. Therese, the little flower. And we're going to be our, our kind of destination. There'll be lots of stops along the way. We're going to start in Lourdes and we're going to end in, in Lesseau, uh, Therese of Lesseau. Uh, so we're going to, you know, go to all those yes. holy sites where she lived and, and where she died. And we're going to be integrating the little way with John Paul II's theology of the body. Powerful. How that tobpilgrimages.com I had the opportunity of uh, going on one of the TOB pilgrimages. Uh, we went to uh, Ireland about five years ago and it was a, a very uh, powerful, amazing, beautiful experience that I will absolutely never forget. And, uh, and, I, got, and I gotta tell you, this river cruise thing, I might just see you there. I might just be on that boat with you. Awesome. Awesome. I'm going to say one final thing before we wrap this up. Yeah. Said, you know, I was delivering this message like I was at World Youth Day or something in front of thousands of people. And you don't have, you know, you're, this is a new podcast. You don't have maybe a, a huge following yet. I'm sure you will eventually. But you know what, Father Paul? I don't care. I don't care if there's just one person out there who's hearing this message. That's, that's who we're talking to. You know, humanity is an abstraction. You know, a crowd of people can be an abstraction. Each person that's listening to this episode is a unique and unrepeatable person. And they're made for this vision called theology of the body. And that person, whoever he or she is, he or she is, is worth, you know, putting it all on the field. That's I don't know how else to teach this message other than to put it all on the field. <laughs> it's, it's worth it. Every, per, every human life is worth it. And God willing, I will die my dying breath. Uh, I will breathe my, my last breath uh, sharing this with somebody, God willing. Amen. And speaking of sharing with, I want to thank Monsignor Paul Bocchicchio, who was my pastor at Our Lady of Mount Virgin in Garfield when I was a teenager. And he is the parish priest who listened to me, who had, uh, who answered my questions. And then one day handed me a cassette tape by this guy named Christopher West and said, I really think you should listen to this. And I want to thank him because here I am 22 years later with Christopher West on my podcast. I am now a Catholic priest. Because my life was changed forever because of this teaching of the gospel of St. John Paul II 
and of you being able to break it down for me so that an 18-year-old could, kid would be uh, happy about so much so that I, I'm just going to see in a couple of days. I am going on one of the Theology of the Body courses for the 11th time. Theology well, of the Body and the Interior Life taught by Father Timothy Gallagher and Dr. Christopher West. So I will see you in just a few, brother. I look forward to it, Father Paul. I look forward I'm to it. I'm excited. And uh, can I say that uh, your wife is going to have a birthday soon? Yeah. My wife turns 50 this coming Monday on November 7th. Yeah, so uh, everybody say a prayer for Wendy. She is amazing. And um, I will... Hey, uh, and for this, Father Paul, that Wendy and I have the same birthday. I turned 53 on the same day. Are you serious? Yep. All right, so I am going to... All right, so then I'll see you on your birthday. Thank there you, you for the invite. Thank you for the invite to that. I, I, uh, I'm very, very grateful to be able to do that. So listen, um, I love you. Thank you. We started with prayer. Why don't we end with prayer? Let's do it. All right. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Heavenly Father, you are real. You are life. You are love. Thank you for this most beautiful, beautiful interview. Thank you for Christopher's passion. Continue to protect him, protect his family, protect his ministry. And in a special way, Lord God, right now to anybody who is listening and praying along with this, please, Lord, touch their hearts. In fact, uh, no, I ask that they may be opened to you filling their hearts with your love because you desire to do so. Bless all of us, Lord God, and help the world to truly know that you are love and to, for the, the message of the gospel and the theology of the body to enter every nook and cranny of our church and of our world. And we pray to Mary, the most holy queen, the queen of the apostles, the queen of the theology of the body, the mother of the theology of the body, as we pray, Hail Mary, full of grace. The Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Please look up the theology of the body. Read, listen to everything that you can on it. Every single thing you can. When I was ordained a Catholic priest on my ordination card, it said and still does study and live the theology of the body. It will change your life. Christopher, thank you for having a huge hand in changing mine. I love you, Father Paul. Keep doing what you're doing. I love doing. you too. Yes, God bless you. And um, uh, please uh, say hello to Wendy and, uh, and your children. And I'll see you in just a couple of days. Peace. Peace. All right, holy messes. Welcome back. Welcome back. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. Holy moly. He was on fire. I felt like a student all over again. Share this stuff. Share this. The world needs to know this and pray for him. Pray for him and his family. The devil doesn't like the work he does. So pray for him, Christopher West and his family, for Wendy and John Paul and um, Thomas and Isaac and Beth and Grace. Beth is going to be upset because uh, I said her name after Isaac and she's older than him. But those are his five children. So I told you that I was going to do a Theology of the Body rap. I wrote this rap in the summer of 2008 and I spent 10 weeks out at the 
Institute for Priestly Formation program in Omaha, Nebraska, as a project that I had to do for my, I think it was called Psychosexual Integration Course. So it was a course about the integration of psychology and sexuality. And at the end, instead of a paper, we had to do some type of project, right? So Christopher West had just come out there that summer and gave a two-hour presentation on celibacy for the kingdom, which we're going to get into in a whole other episode. But it's also a part, a huge part of the theology of the body. Now, I ended up writing a rap song about how the theology of the body changed my life. Okay, so this is based off of my real life from back before I was really involved in Christ. Okay. The, the, the rap speaks for itself, but it has to be understood in its proper context. Okay. I've done it publicly, but I've never recorded it because people don't know the context. But after listening for two hours on the context of the theology of the body, I think you will know exactly where it came from. If I were to just record this in and of itself without any commentary and just put this on YouTube, it could be taken outside of context. Context is everything. Context is key. So I wrote this in 2008, first time making it public after a two-hour talk on the theology of the body. Here we go. Praise be Jesus Christ. Come, Holy, Holy Spirit. Who would have knew in 2002 that when I slept with my girlfriend, it changed my whole view on sex and marriage and babies and carrots? Because I'm in church the next Sunday, it wasn't the average. I was sitting and listening to what the gospel was spitting when suddenly I felt guilt come up to me and hit me. It started screaming, saying what I did was wrong. But I tried to tune out and find another song. But that didn't work. The shame in me increased. Something told me to go and speak to the priest. A half hour had passed. It was the end of the mass. I saw a father at the door and ran up to him fast. I said, excuse me, but this shouldn't take long. Can you tell me why sex out of marriage is wrong? He sat me down, explained it to me, but this wasn't the average talk about the birds and the bees. You see, he sparked in me a curiosity when he said that the body's a theology. He said the sex is good. It's not a product of hell. Rather, all things changed when Adam and Eve fell. We're now dealing with the effects of original sin and a big sum of block is concupiscence. But in the beginning, it was not so. Naked without shame was the way to go. The two came together and became one flesh. But when done, out of marriage, it becomes a mess because we're not just a body. We're body and soul. Called to be a gift, faithful, total, and whole. It makes no sense when girls hang from poles. They're human beings, not animals. We're called the love of Christ that he gave his body and life. And we're to do the same one day with your wife. Heaven's no wham, bam. Thank you, ma'am. Rather, the true kingdom is the marriage of the lamb. So you may think you love it, but you got to wait. And that's no excuse to go and masturbate. Christ fulfills every desire you have. All you got to do is go to him and ask he's the bridegroom we're the bride fall in love with him and in him abide and go to marry the woman of us all she's the new evil who restored the fall restored the fall restored the fall she's the new evil who restored the fall yo as father was explaining this to me my body started shaking my legs and my knees i was convicted you see the lord was speaking to me opening my heart to see what i couldn't see and in my heart i knew that he was right but i was scared to live this i was filled with fright but deep down i knew that i had to take a stand but what about my girl how would she understand she'd probably cry and be so hurt thinking i was using her just for a skirt you see i was the first she thought i was the one will she now believe i want a father son we talked to half past one boy she was hurt she said that i was brainwashed by the priest in the church i got mad at first but i then agreed i I need to be coined so that I could see. She said, proceed. So I explained to death how I've been lied to by this culture of death. She looked perplexed. So I told the next step, I ultimate fulfillment didn't rely on sex. And now I know that my heart won't rest till it rests in him and not in her breast. So no more playboy, no more porno. Sorry, Hugh Hefty, but it's got to go to MTV. You're no longer my friend. Meet my new pal, EWTN. Uh. Yeah, so she said I was brainwashed. She indeed was right. My mom was dark. I now see the light, and the light so bright that it changed my life. Thanks be to Jesus the Christ for restoring my sight. I. 
<laughs> Man, I haven't done that. I haven't even wrapped that in a while. So I think I might have left out a line or two. I'll uh, re-listen to it. I hope you liked it. Uh, liked it. Uh, only share about it uh, in the context of this interview. Okay, you do not have my permission to just edit that and to do it solely. It's a part of this podcast episode, Theology of the Body Rap. Uh, I felt like the Holy Spirit inspired it. And uh, man, thank you, Christopher West. Thank you, John Paul II. Uh, thank you, Jesus Christ. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Check out the show notes. Check out how to look into and support Christopher West Ministry, the Theology of the Body Institute. And God bless you. Have a good one. Hit me up on the email, comments, questions, concerns. We're going to go into Advent soon. Holla. God bless. Yeah.